This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I love reading thrillers. Love it. It's, it's like the biggest release. And I finished a new one by one of the top thriller writers in the world, Harlan Coven. He not only writes all these incredible books, but they end up in movies, on TV, they're streamed, they're everywhere. And we've become very attached to some of his characters. And in his brand new book called The Match, we re-meet Wilde. Do you remember that, guys? That's the very attractive man who apparently, as a little kid, five, six, seven, somewhere around there, was abandoned by his parents in the Ramapo Mountains in New Jersey. And when he's found, the child doesn't really know anything much about his past or certainly anything about his parents. But he does something which millions of Americans do. He goes on one of those sites that tell you about your DNA and a match on this Antristy database changes his life. And it may be possible, he finds, to be able now at this stage to track down his father, maybe his descendants, his cousins, his parents, and of course, we end up with everything you can imagine, conspiracy, fear. It's a wonderful, fast-read book. So you have so many. Where did this latest come from? Have you ever done the DNA thing? I have done a DNA test, both only um, for research purposes uh, for this book. But yeah, the whole idea was, as you say, so imagine if you know you find this kid in the woods. He swears he's always lived in the woods. He's five or six years old, doesn't remember parents, broke into cabins to feed himself. And some 35 years later, he still doesn't know how he ended up in the woods. And right on page one, after taking a DNA test, the match matches, um, he's standing across the street from his biological father. So we're getting right into the tale. This is uh, the match is his origin story, right? If it was a Batman, this is where we learned Batman's parents were murdered. Right. This is how this is sort of how Wild became Wild. So the match is the origin story, if you will. Right, and he's so well adjusted, Harlan. That's the you know part. Dump a kid in the woods and pick him up later. They're usually not like this character, who, despite everything, is pretty solid inside. Well, he has, well, has a lot of trouble connecting to people. He lives, for the most part, in this eco-capsule, which is a really cool thing uh, in the woods. He doesn't really connect well with people. And as the book goes on, he really does start to shed some of those inhibitions and starts to really form ties um, with those around him. But the other things I wanted to do, Joan, and I think you probably picked up on it, was it, it takes place very much in the modern day. So... I was dealing with some of the darker side of reality TV, 
of, of online course. trolling, online bullying. Bachelor shows, um, dating shows. Yes, exactly. Um, no, I think that would be interesting for him to go through those worlds. Here's this sort of guy living in the woods going through these worlds to be able to find the answer of who he is and how he ended up abandoned in those woods. Right, and to track the other side of him with a sort of a family he's adopted over the years. But, you know, you too are an amazing character. You're still in college when you say, I'm going to be a writer. Now, you know, that's like me when I was a kid, say, I'm going to be an actor. The reality is so far from putting the statement out there. But a couple of years after you got out, you actually were a writer, quote unquote, and did get published. Do you remember when you think back how that really happened? I remember everything. I mean, you know, I've been I've had an interesting career in it was not overnight success. My first New York Times bestseller was my 10th novel, Tell No One. It was the first time I hit the bestseller list it was my 10th novel. So it was a interesting process. But, you know, my my goals were always just to look a little bit ahead. Oh, I just want to have a novel published. Oh, wouldn't it be cool to have two novels published to show it wasn't a fluke? Oh, wouldn't it be great if I could just kind of scratch out a living? Oh, wouldn't it be great if one day I hit a bestseller list? Oh, wouldn't it be great if one day it hit number one? You know, all those sort of things were more of a gradual process. Today, I don't want to be this one of these um, whining about people of today, but everybody thinks that their first book should be a, a huge bestseller. Instant. Um, yeah, but I'm yeah, curious. It's, it's, it's yeah. If you were an actor... We might have met you um, in the wine business or as a waiter or something. So what did exactly. you do during those years from graduation to publishing a real book? And as you point out, it was years before you had a bestseller. Uh, well, for eight years, I was in the travel business, a uh, family business in travel. I was also um, smart enough to marry a pediatrician. My uh -huh. wife is a doctor. Uh, and so when I left that business, um, after eight years, and we sat down and we agreed, let's give it a try. Let's give this writing thing a try. I also was more the stay at home and parent. I know a lot of people will hear, um, oh, the dad was the stay at home parent, but not really. Or, oh, they share responsibilities, but it always seems to fall on the woman. Um, I would say my wife and I were about as evenly divided doing the household chores and the children stuff. Um, as you could be. I was the one who was mostly at home, did most of the driving. She likes to cook. So it was, a, it was sort of a good mix it, that way It worked. Well. And then yeah. after you hit a bestseller and had that pressure, which a lot of writer friends have, to you got to duplicate this, did your life change a lot or did you still maintain the same regimen? Well, you know, you, there's no question that success messes with your head. Um, but, I, you know, again, I was 39 years old and already had when my fourth kid was born the first day I hit the bestseller list. So it wasn't like I could start partying with Leo, you know. <laughs> so I, mean, I feel like a lot. When, I, when I read these actors, when I, read these, you know, when I you know, meet or read about these actors or rock stars who all of a sudden gain fame in their 20s and don't have those, those sort of guardrails, it, it, it surprises me they even survive nonetheless don't do even dumber things than what um, we read about. So my life was pretty much the same. Um, and, you know, it was the pressure. 
There's actually, in, in some ways, there was less pressure. Uh, the real pressure, of course, is trying to hope that your next book even gets published or that you can maybe scratch out a living. The pressure today um, is, oh, and all the pressure has always for me been self-induced. You're a reader. You're, gonna, you're going to a bookstore. You're going to buy the match. I take you know, great responsibility. That's a real honor. There's thousands of books you could choose from. And I, you know, I don't want to disappoint the reader. I want the match to be your favorite read of mine. I want that last, that ending of the match to not only surprise you, but really kind of move you and, and, and wreck you a little bit. And if I'm not doing that, I'm disappointed in myself. So I'm always trying my best to, to do the best work that I can each time out. Right. And the question that I get from listeners all the time is, all right, I'm writing a book or I've written a book, whether it's I'm a lawyer and want to share my story or it's a murder or a cookbook. How do you do this? So here you were married and probably had a kid before the first book came out. How did you get yourself published? You weren't connected. You were in an unrelated business. Well, my first two books actually came out before I had any of the kids, but they were with a very small press. Um, I actually just sent it in um, and asked for an they opinion, and they ended up publishing it. But it was—I mean, it was a, an advance of I think two thousand dollars. It was a—it was—it was a beautiful hardcover edition, but it was not um, anywhere but libraries and, and, a, and a few bookstores. Was it a thriller? Um, so then. It, yeah, oh, yeah, it was a thriller. It was called Play Dead and then Miracle mm -hmm. Cure. Those were my first two books. Um, and then I moved into the Myron Bolotar series, which was a paperback original series, but with a, a major publishing house, Phantom Double Day Dell, and slowly moved up the ladder from that. Right. That was your basketball player or former basketball player yes. who's now an agent. Yes. yes, that's Myron. Yes. And then that was it. Then you started. It started, and it was growing slowly. I was doing just fine. And then I wrote a book called Tell No One. Uh, in that came out in 2001, and that book changed my life overnight. Um, that was the first New York Times bestseller, um, and all of a sudden my career went from zero to 60. That's when you become the quote-unquote uh, overnight success right. after nine other books. Um, that book just took off, and then since then each book has – uh, been Taken a bestseller, <laughs> yeah. Each book has but, been as a bestseller. This is my thirty-fifth book, believe it or not. Uh, you're wow, unreal. 35. And when this, when the book really took off, and the other books did okay, but they weren't, you know, knocking the town down. What did you think that this book was better than the others? Was special? What in it sort of made the public say, "Oh my gosh, I can't stop reading this." Well, tell no one had a number one had a great hook. Number two, the books before it, as you just mentioned, Myron Bolotar was a sports agent. So people had the, you know, again, when you're marketing, people have the idea that, oh, sports book, I have no interest in reading a sports book. Well, now they've all found it and realized they're not sports books at all. But that back then it was a harder marketing tool. But tell no one had a great hook. When they made the movie in France, the poster read, um, Eight years ago, Dr. Beck's wife was murdered. Today, he got an email from her. Um, so that, you know, that was, that's a great hook, the idea that this man whose wife was murdered, and then eight years later, he sees her on a webcam alive. Mm. That's compelling. It's a lot to say, and you're buying the book. And so I don't know if it's a better book or not, but I think that would, people were locking into that. No, there was no 
think people thinking, oh, it's going to be sports. So all of those things, I think, everything has to work right, and you have to have a lot of luck, too. Um, that just happened with Telmo. And you have to also understand marketing. But then, as the world kept changing, you ended up signing a deal with Netflix. Now, that doesn't happen often to a lot of writers. Yeah, I made a couple of shows overseas and that Netflix had, had picked up on and liked. And we were going to do one show together. Um, and then somebody came up with the idea of, well, we really want material for our, our you know, Netflix films in all the countries. They're in 190 countries. And they like to have originals. People mm-hmm. who have Netflix know this. They've seen shows, Netflix Spain, Netflix Germany, Netflix France. Um, and I, my books sell actually better overseas than they, they do here in the U.S., relatively speaking. And so they made an overall deal so that we could do a bunch of different shows in various countries. And it's been really, really fun. Um, and their reach is so, you know, so vast uh, that it's, it's just been a great, uh, a great experience and a great relationship. So at this point, Harlan, with the match out, do you feel pressure to come up with another book or do you have enough on your plate with streaming, with pilots, with television, with everything that you've got going on to just do what you're doing? Or do you want more? Well, the, the novels I always consider my day jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So every this is every third week in March or so for the last ten or fifteen years, I've released a book. Then, and I I plan on continuing that. So the match, of course, is, is a new one, and I'm writing. I'm already you know 150 pages into the into the next one. Um, it's you know writing a novel is a completely you're a dictator. It's a completely solitary practice. It's just you. Um, and TV is extraordinarily collaborative. It's the direct opposite creatively. So I've really enjoyed being able to do both. I hope I'm able to continue to do both. But if one has to give, I'll be writing the books. Um, that's, that, that, that usually is my priority. Right. And Wild, your character, I, I was sure when I finished him that I was going to meet him again that there was going to be a series or something so we know what happened to him. Right. The Boy from the Woods, which is the first book, if you will, of Wild. Yeah. I don't tell you how he ended up in the woods. We just know his story that he ended up in the woods. And it's a mystery where he's trying to find a missing teenager and it goes really explodes almost all through the world up into presidential politics and everything like that. But I never answer the question at the end of that book. of Well, how did he end up in the woods? So this, again, is like his origin story. It's like you're reading one of those comic books and, you know, you watch Batman solve crimes and now you find out Batman's parents were murdered and that's how he became the Batman. Batman. So you can read them in either order. You can read Boy from the Woods first or The Match first. Um, But, yeah, this is – now you know how he ended up abandoned in the woods and what happened to his parents and his family and and all that. But, of course, now we want to know that we have new information, how this really impacts in the long run his life and his love life, his relationships. But a great job. Now, are your kids involved in writing at all? I have one of of the four. One is involved in writing. One is a very talented TV writer. Um, She's written for me on Stay Close and The Stranger, which people may have seen on Netflix. Uh-huh. Most of the funny lines and most of the teenage stories <laughs> on those two TV show are hers. 
she brings a great young voice um, to the team, which uh, my partner uh, I've been working with in those British series really felt we needed and brought Charlotte in. Um, so, she, you know, Charlotte's a, a big part of that. And she also wrote uh, the pilot episode of a, of a show um, that I'm hopefully going to be filming in New Jersey. Well, I hope we're going to be filming in New Jersey for Amazon Prime based on my young adult Mickey Bolitar series um, yeah. soon. So, yeah, she's quite active. The other ones, no. One is going to be working at NASA in flight control. Um, one is uh, still at Brown University. Um, and one is working in New York for a consulting firm. So they're kind of all over the place. Right. And the one from Brown, I have two kids who came out of Brown. Very creative, you know, artistic yeah. kids. This is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. She's so more science oriented. I don't even understand. She told me what her, her major is something called computational biology. I still that don't understand good. what exactly that is. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> No, it's great. And they have a great pre-med too. So it's all good. And you have a discipline. Was that always part of your DNA? Uh, No, in fact, I wouldn't say I'm disciplined about really much else. Just just my writing. I have to get it done. And I'm not disciplined in the sense that I go days and days without writing much. And then I really, I'm a streak writer. Um, I think about it. I'm obsessed with it. Um, It's maybe even a little bit of an addiction and my life's not really in balance if I'm not writing well. But I'm not disciplined in the sense like there's a lot of writers who will say, okay, I get up at 6, 6.30, I'm at my laptop or my computer. I finish at, you know, have lunch at noon. I'm not that kind of um, disciplined. I'm just one who really wants to do it and get the work done. And I keep changing up how I do it as long as I can, as long as it may, may, helps me produce pages, it's good. If it doesn't help me produce pages, it's bad. I know. Do you take notes or it's a free form? I do everything. Uh, again, anything that makes me work. Sometimes I do a lot by hand. Um, I, I think there's something very freeing and childlike about pen to paper. So I, I recommend that. And the other thing I mm-hmm. like about pen and paper is I'll do, say, I'll, I'll write by hand 10 pages and then I'll put it on my, on my laptop or word processor or computer or whatever. But that means my first draft is already my second draft. Um, it's making me do one more draft. And there's something also, when you delete on a computer, it's kind of gone from sight. When you cross out on a page, you can kind of still see, you can draw arrows. Um, so for me, I like doing those first parts and the thinking on paper with a pen. Yeah, but that makes sense. The, I, th- I do, even if for interviews and notes and everything, a yellow pad and a pen, it just feels more intimate it's something that i can deal with but do you treat yourself to time off like the match did you give yourself a break because i know you're already started on the next one i'm not good with breaks in the full breaks because i don't really i don't really consider what i do that hard that much that really um exhausting or time-consuming work uh I'm out of sorts when I'm not writing. So life is about balance, right? So you're balancing with your partner, balancing relationship with your family, balancing your health, your eating, your exercise, all those things. Friends, if I'm not writing well, the rest of my life kind of gets out of balance. So even on vacation, so-called, I like to wake up and jot some notes or thoughts down. I don't like to take my, let my brain fully off. I think it's why I'm not a stressed kind of person. I get like, but I don't like doing 
the sort of meditations where they say, clear your mind. Nothing mm-hmm. stresses me more than telling me to clear my mind. I like my <laughs> mind sort of actively working and looking for new stories and, and asking what if and that sort of a thing. Well, your mind sounds good to me. And I couldn't put down the match, and you won't be able to either. This is Harlan Coleman's brand new book. It's in all your bookstores. Continued success. Enjoy the family, and we'll talk again. Thanks, Joan. Appreciate it. Anytime. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.